This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of All Things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids. The podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. I am absolutely ready for our episode today because we are taking a deep dive into today's topic. Oh, yes, this is going to be so much fun. What problem are we solving today? How do you get materials from the Earth? How do we get materials from the Earth? This is going to be so fun, and I'm thinking we're going to talk about digging. Who is our guest today, Jeff? We are going to be talking about digging today, Jennifer. Our guest today is the fantastic Alexis Lua. She is an industrial engineer who's worked in multiple industries, but we are going to focus today on mining. Welcome to the show, Alexis. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about talking about mining. I am excited too, and not just because I have a book about rocks, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to talk more about, you know, why we mine and how we get all these amazing building materials. So this is going to be really interesting, but I like to start with my first question. Did you always know as a kid that you wanted to be in mining? Like, were you one of those kids that collected rocks and all those kinds of things? Well, I wasn't actually specifically focusing on mining per se. I did collect a lot of rocks. I love to play outside. And I I was always intrigued about travel. And as you already know, Ah. there's mining exists everywhere in the world, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you can go anywhere with this job. Correct. And that's what actually, actually sparked my interest right out of university. Whenever I was offered to go and explore the world and dig some dirt out. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so just before we jump into exploring the world, what did you study when you were in college that led to that invitation? Mm. So I did study industrials and systems engineering, which does give you a basis for mechanical engineering as well as geology. So oh, I had okay. some background information and really basic information about what mining would be. So and math always gives us the open our door to anything that we want yes. to do. And uh, that's why I chose engineering in general. That's so fun. And, and, you know, we love engineering. I think I have a systems engineer type of brain. But I'm curious, how did you get into mining? And can you tell us a little bit what it's like? Because I'm assuming you had to go down deep into the earth and the shafts and work with these big tractors and all this kind of stuff. What was that like? <laughs> Sure. And I'll tell you what my perspective was about mining beforehand, right? So I graduated and I was offered this really, really cool job in France specifically to go out and then learn the technology and see how do we extract all of this material out of the earth. Now, 
whenever I heard mining, to be honest, what came into mind, it was it's boring. It might be old, it might be dirty, you know, it definitely yes. didn't involve a lot of travel. Right. But I was pleasantly surprised to find out that it was completely the opposite. In what way? Can you describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So what I discovered is that though, so mining is everywhere around the world, regardless of the language that we speak. So as long as we okay. have the engineering background and the, also the math, mathematics background, you can definitely extract dirt pretty much anywhere <laughs> in the world. So that know-how actually brought me to travel everywhere and which I discovered the love for that, for traveling and also discovering new minerals and new materials around the world. That's cool. That is cool. So tell us, what is it like to mine? Like, like what are you looking for in in all of these different building materials? What are you digging up? Okay, so why don't I explain the process of mining? Okay. And how do we do it? You know, it's very, very simple. If we just summarize it into five different steps. I would say step number one, it's definitely located. So the Uh, material can exist in a mountain. It can also exist in the ocean and even the desert. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's surprising, I think. Very. I mean, you don't so, think of that as a mining place, especially because it's hot. But I mean, clearly there's rocks under everywhere in the Earth's crust. So, yes. Absolutely. So whenever I talk about a desert, I'm not talking about the hot desert that we all know. I'm actually talking about a salt desert. Oh. And that's where we mine lithium for all of our batteries and our electronics. Oh, that's very okay. important. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Actually, mining lithium brought me out to Chile, one of those really, really remote places in the middle of the earth where the only thing that exists there, it's actually salt. It never rains. It has four inches of rain per year, which creates it as one of the most driest places on earth. Yes. Wow. And that's how lithium is formed because of all of those crystallized particles they become so dry, then it becomes lithium. And then we mine it and process it, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So step number one, locate it, right? So we look at a mountain, we can look at an ocean or a desert. Now, step okay. number two, that will be digging out and exploding things, right? <laughs> oh, this, this sounds like a good part. We like this part. You just got everybody's <laughs> attention. Awesome. So digging and exploding, what does that involve? Well, since sometimes the minerals exist really, really deep into the earth, what we need to do is to get it out. How do we get it out? We need to pretty much like inject some really cool explosives very safely, of course. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Don't do this at home. (laughs) Don't do this at home. Yes. And they're really, really big. There's actually engineers that do that for you. Specifically, they train for that just to how to explode a really, really big hole. Right. So that would be the type of exploding or the type of digging that will create a really big pit where it will make us to finally reach the material that exists, you know, a couple of meters or feet below the earth. Okay. That's that's one of the options. Another option would be to actually explore above the ground. So we don't have to dig, but we can also start excavating. That's the second option. Okay. So like on a mountain, is that what you're talking about? Correct. You got it, Jen. Like on a mountain. 
so you're talking about digging in, into excavating the mountain, into excavating. The mountain. Do you Correct. do you sometimes explode in the mountain too, or is you do to create some tunneling? Yes, right. Definitely do to make your pathway into the heart of the mountain, which oh. a lot of times, and the event of limestone, for example, that exists in the best and the most purest limestone actually exists more deeper into the, sur- the mountain than oh, in the surface. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. So, and then the third option would be, so it doesn't require any explosive. It oh. just exists. <laughs> But it's also very cool, though, because it just exists in the surface. And then, for example, oleolithic aragonite sand. This exists in the ocean, specifically really close to the Bahamas. And it's just there. Okay. We don't have to do anything. Wow. We just have to gather it and process it. What well, does that well, do? Actually, the aragonite sand, it's a great, great additive for food, medical, even glass. Can you believe that? Wow. No. So I know sand and glass, yeah. how are sand and food additives? Because I got to say, if I go to the beach and I <laughs> drop something, I am less happy about the rest of my lunch. Well, it's not the sand that would exist at the beach, actually. This is a really, really special sand where we can okay. extract calcium carbonate. Now, uh, calcium carbonate is what you eat, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That I want to sense. learn where this stuff comes from. It's in a really special and beautiful place in the Bahamas. Oh, let's go there. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Just grab some aragonite sun. <laughs> yes. So that's the step number two, right? We said okay. dig and explode. Now, step number three, we extract it. And right. then we technically, we need to bring it somewhere for processing. Okay. Now, the okay. bringing part could happen two ways. One, it could be mechanical. So we would have a belt conveyor where we put all of the big stones and then we bring it into the processing plant. Okay. Or, which is my favorite, would be for pneumatic transport. Have you ever heard about pneumatic transport? No. No. Uh Uh-uh. Something super, super cool. So just imagine that you have straw. Right. And then you suck like you know, whenever right. the liquid sure. needs to go through, it's the same way. So that's pneumatic transport. So for so what we do is that we actually introduce the material with negative pressure through pipes. And that's the way that we transport it to no various way. locations. Kind of like a vacuum? Like a vacuum. Just oh, like that no, that's cool. That that's sounds cool. fantastic. Yeah, that and might be vacuuming I'd really want to do. Right, as opposed to the vacuuming, vacuuming around my house. This would be the fun That's vacuuming particles. Particles wow. get sus- uh, suspended in the air, and that's how they can flow across. So wow. that's the second option. Or we can also get it to another way, which is also pneumatic transport, but with positive pressure. So instead of sucking like a vacuum, we actually blow through it. Like Same a leaf thing. blower. <laughs> like a leaf blower, yes, through a pipe. Correct. <laughs> Jen, you're already there. You should be. Annoyed. I mean, this is these are things I use around my house, right? <laughs> you decide which method Ooh, you are going to get the material from. Are there different methods that are better for different types of materials? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. Actually, the reason why we do mechanical transport is because we have really big particles, and those are the big stones. So they're okay. too heavy to be levitated inside. Gotcha. Of- pipe right gotcha okay 
And you don't want to be blowing or sucking big rocks around <laughs> just in case. That will require a sounds lot of a, energy. And, and sounds a wee bit dangerous. Just a little. On both ends of the tube. So, and moving What's on next? to step number four. Yes. Yeah. Now we have to process it, right? We made all of that dirt and rocks getting into the plant, the processing plant. And where at the processing, that's where all of the chemical transformation happens. Okay. What do we do for that? Well, we cook it or the professional word would be calcination. So Um, that means that one of those rocks, we literally put it into a really, really big oven that it's about a thousand degrees Celsius. So we can start getting some chemical transformation and finally get a really hard rock. Does that mm-hmm. kind of like burn up the impurities? Because I'm assuming these rocks have other things in them, right? Like, so what you're looking for, it's not just like limestone by itself. You have to get the limestone out of whatever is around it. Is that what you're doing with that? Correct. So it gets okay. all of the impurities. And then okay. what we're looking for is something called, in the event of limestone, as we have the example, we're looking for clinker. Clinker is actually the raw material that makes cement hard. Oh, it's called clinker. Sorry, that is a. <laughs> it's called clinker. Okay, <laughs> that's a funny word. Uh, next time I see cement work happening out in the city, I'm going to have a whole different thought process going through my head. Look at all the clinker happening. <laughs> there you go. Well, clinker is actually. Let's just look at it as the recipe would be. Uh huh. So we have clinker. Then we have okay. other additives. It could be fly ash or it could be even limestone, additional limestone or sand to mix all of that together. And that will give us the word cement. What we know today, uh, we add okay. water and that's what, how it's hard, right? Right, right. So, but clinker, it's really, really special because that's the hardening factor or the hardening mineral that exists oh, in cement. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. So without that, cement stays mud. <laughs> yeah. Without that, yeah, then yeah. it would say not. It's the same way whenever you add water to sand, right? It doesn't yeah. really harden. It just no. creates a really muddy pile. Yes. Right. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So what else are you doing after you heat this? So you heat it, then you grind it with really, really big grinders that exist oh, wow. in this plant. And they could be like rock on rock, or it could be just like a disc going around really, really fast. Right. And what we're trying to achieve is getting this huge rocks into tiny, tiny, tiny particles. Oh, okay. So are we talking tiny like sand or tiny like a powder? Well, it depends. And this is really fascinating because the finer that we grind, the actual hardening effects that increase. So that's cool, right? So it could be finer as a sand if we just want to create the normal cement that we have in our everyday roads. But if we want to create something that is super, super hard, like the cement that we use for dams, that has to be really a lot of really resistant against all that pressure from the water. And it has to be a little bit finer. I never Like a powder. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So then what you do once you have the powder? After you have the powder, then you blend it for your final oh. product, right? So then we have all of this additional things like what we talked about. We have sand, we have fly ash. Fly ash actually comes from after we burn coal, that left out burnt coal, it's called fly ash. 
that could be also used as an additive to create cement. So we mix all of this together and then we go into step number five, which would be we pack it into little bags that you can find in your home depot, or we put it in really big trucks to send it out for your construction sites. I mean, that's just cool because, you know, you you go to the store and, you know, in the past, we one time we put up a fence. So we had to, you know, drill or dig out the holes and then you have to put the cement around the posts. Right. Never thought about where the bag of cement came from and how the cement got inside there. That's so cool. And can I ask, how long does it take? to do all of this? Because, you know, for me, I just go to the store, pick it up and bring it home. But does it take weeks, months, hours? How long does it take to make like a bag of cement? Well, I mean, I would say because Mother Earth is so nice to us. (laughs) The limestone, which is the raw material, it's already there. Now the processing part, that might take, I would say a good two days from cooking all the way to shipping. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's fairly I have, a, I have a question about the processing. When you're doing the burning process and the processing to get out just the things that you want, what happens to all of the other stuff that well, you don't want? That's a great question, Jeff. And nothing gets wasted. So it might not be good for creating cement, but it might be good for creating gypsum, a different type of material that is also used for the building industry. Okay. Oh. So okay. nothing and, is waste. So you and have the ability how does it to get s- separated. Yeah. Good question. That's what I was going to say. How do you separate them? <laughs> All right. So now, now you want to get into that really, really <laughs> engineering background type question. So, okay. So we do have something called a classifier or a separator. Okay. This okay. rotates a really, 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 really fast speed. And what we do is that it has inside of it, it has different blades, right? Right. And depending on the blade, the blade classifies the material. So one particle is uh, coarser than the other. And that automatically separates the material from each other. Wow. So So, the separator knows what it's separating. I'm picturing a coin sorter in my brain (laughs) of like, I get that, you know, dimes, pennies, nickels, and quarters have different size and shape a little bit. But they definitely have different size. So obviously a quarter is not going to fall down a dime hole, but it knows the difference between two particles. It knows the difference between two particles because of the density as well. So particles that are denser tend to be heavier. Heavier. Okay. So And the particles that are lighter, like your gypsum, we actually suck through instead of falling back down. Okay. So this seems like there's a lot of electronics and machines that help with this now. I mean, mining, of course, wasn't always this way, way back when. So is that part of your training that you had to learn is to learn kind of how this works? Like as an industrial engineer, what did you do with all of this? What process were you involved in or were you involved in the whole thing? I was involved in the whole thing. So it's just understanding how we can create the final product, right? Because the final product is not the same as the material that we're getting out of the earth. So having the possibility of putting all of these Legos together and building a plant to just get it out and have a final product. That's exactly what I learned for 
11 wow. years of my life. <laughs> wow. That it learning exactly what Jen said, where that bag of cement comes from and talking to somebody that's doing it and has done it is fascinating because you can do that same process with anything. That leads me to do you have a really cool mining story, like somewhere awesome that you went or <laughs> somewhere that was super difficult or super easy? Well, I'll tell you a story of the biggest mine in the world, which is actually oh. a copper mine located in uh, Chile. Okay. okay. So it was really fun because to get there, you have to fly in. And it's one specific flight coming out of the capital of Chile, which is Santiago. And so it's, I believe it's an hour flight. Anyhow, I was super excited. I've never seen such a mine, such a big pit, right? Do you remember right. we talk about the big hole in the ground? Yeah, right. I've never seen such a thing. And this pit is so big that you can see it from the airplane. Wow. Like okay. you can see it from space too. Yeah, it's super oh wide. Gosh. You can see it from space as well. So. Wow. I'm looking that up after this. Yeah. Sure. Well, and whenever I saw that from the airplane, I just said, oh my, am I actually going to go down that? (laughs) (laughs) It was a little bit scary. Don't get me wrong. But once you arrive, you have all of these really, really big trucks that are hauling a lot of massive stones all the way from about one kilometer down all the way to the top. Wow. How deep was this? So about uh, one kilometer, well, I'm talking kilometers because that's how the mining world always talks about in metric. Yes. <laughs> so I would so say uh, 1.6 miles. Wow. And then, okay, so to give the our listeners an idea, so they had to construct roads that kind of went circular around all the way up so these big giant trucks could bring the stuff that they needed to the top. Correct. So it's like a spiral. So we start from the bottom and then we'll go all the way back to the top. So that would be your mechanical movement of the earth, right? Wow. So just too big of rocks. No, I was going to say, I've, so my dad used to work for Caterpillar Tractor Company for like 35 mm-hmm. years and they would have this, what they called a power parade. So all of the families could come and see the equipment and you could see these gigantic dump trucks like I've never you stand next to him and it's like you know I don't know it felt like it was two stories taller than you or something so did you use big dump trucks like that because that's what we were told is there for mining yeah absolutely and I mean those trucks one of the tires is actually I am a quarter of the the diameter of the tire (laughs) so how big they are (laughs) they're they're wild as a kid it was the coolest thing to see these see these trucks drive Yes, it's a lot of fun. So mining happens all the time and all over the world. So, you know, for a project, you go and you do a project. How do you know for your part as the industrial engineer, when is your part done that you either then go back to the office or move on to a different project? So whenever every machine is installed and we have the final product, that's whenever I move on to a new, a new program. So, but everything from con- concept to locating the mountain, doing the surveying to see, you know, not every mountain has right. good material. That's right. why we have to analyze. We have to extract a little bit, sample it, and then see if it's going to be good high quality limestone or high quality gypsum, for example. 
I would think that this is a big investment then too. So you want to make sure before you build everything you were saying that what you're going to get out is actually the material that you need, right? Correct. Yes. So it has to, we have to be certain that the quality of the mineral will be good enough to create something afterwards, like your bag of cement or your glass. Mm -hmm. Right. To get those samples when you're testing it, do you take core samples? Do you like drill long cores into a mountain? Correct. We have, That's, you know it, Jeff. I love exactly. that. I yeah. love that process. We talked to someone who's, who takes cores out of trees uh-huh. and someone else who takes cores out of ice. Yep. And I think that's fascinating because taking one small like tubular section out of something, mm-hmm. you can see so deep into it. Correct. And sometimes the layers are different, different materials, right? So whenever we're right. digging into the core of the earth, we need a lot of core samples to see where is the material located that right. we want. So it could be at half a foot down, or it could be at a mile down. It's a right. very different project if it's really deep. Yes. So I want to ask you a question because when you think mining, sometimes you don't, unfortunately, think that women might be in this. So talk about, you know, women in STEM and and going into mining. Was it unusual for women to be in there? Or are you seeing a lot more, you know, industrial engineers that are female getting into mining? Well, I mean, I would say, unfortunately, I didn't meet a lot of women when I was uh, working in mining. However, the industry is changing. There's a lot of support. And, you know, I think it's also about getting to know a little bit of the industry. So people think that it's just this old, dirty and boring industry, as (laughs) as I said at the beginning, but it's actually a lot of fun. So it's just to get to know it. And then an engineering background, it's always helpful to go into mining in general. But now... It also, what I would say is that we just don't stop at mining here in the earth, right? So the possibility of the future of mining, it's so great and it's vast so much so that we could actually be looking at mining asteroids or mining the moon. So we need all of this knowledge. So I would definitely encourage anyone, it doesn't matter if it's female or male, to get into this type of industry because it's really, really, really rewarding and it's a lot of future. So especially yeah. all my girls, it's yeah. it's not just for boys. <laughs> <laughs> Understand. So you did just mention once it, that mining is a past tense for you. So you used to do mining and you have now moved on. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? Sure. So I moved on and actually... It was a good move since mining gave me a lot of the background information into the industry that I'm at today. I am doing uh, nanotechnology for electronics. Wow. Very cool. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) So we grab the minerals from the earth again, and then we, we grind them really, really, really fine to create almost like a paste. So a lot of solids, these are 100% organic. Then from there, we actually have a lot of chemical transformation and we create a solution with nanoparticles inside. Uh, now, okay. this solution, we apply it to every single board. And I don't know if you've seen them. They're the green boards that exist in every electronic inside. Yeah. That is called a PCBA, which is called printed circuit board. 
Okay. And then you paint this on top of that? We paint the solution full of minerals on top of the PCBA, and that protects it from the environment. That's the reason why your phone can be waterproof. And that's also the reason why we're allowing to put electronics inside of water. Okay. Well, that's I, very useful. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having accidentally dropped a phone into, you know, the water once, and then, you know, it's like you, you have to stick it in rice or whatever. So now you're saying that helps with that. Cool. But it still works. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yes. You know, and I think every one of our listeners has understands the concept of waterproofing, mm-hmm. but I got to tell you, for for us, what I think is a sciencey guy, me, I have never put the words waterproofing and nanotechnology together. That what that the nanotechnology is what's creating the waterproofing. Oh yeah, the nanotechnology is amazing at that level. That the particles have so many different kind of characteristics than they have at the vague level. So you can do so much. I only say because I've done two books on nanotechnology, but I think it's it's very, very cool. And anybody that's interested in going in that field, that would also be really fun too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And as we grow in humans and humanity in general, we're going to be using a lot more electronics, right? Yes. So yes. The technology yes. will evolve and you know, we'll be creating more and more small and small and smaller particles and smaller electronics. <laughs> it's definitely a rewarding industry. So Alexis, did you have to move from the mining industry to nanotechnology? Did you have to learn a whole new set of nano information or did what you knew from industrial engineering transfer to the new career? It was actually a blend. So the Uh, industrial engineering background definitely gave me a good solid structure to learn something new, especially like nanotechnology. But the mining gave me the knowledge on the materials. So I would understand how these nanoparticles work and behave in different environments. So it's not just one. Okay. And we've heard that from a lot of our guests too. And that's, I think that's a great point is that just because you start out as one kind of engineer, doesn't mean you can't shift into something else or use that knowledge that you learned from your first endeavor, or sometimes just branch off somewhere new, right? Being an engineer means you can problem solve and critically think. So you can kind of, you know, reinvent yourself, right? Correct. Segue into many other industries. Being yeah. in mining doesn't mean that I cannot be in electronics, right? Yeah. Or maybe in the future it would be something else, maybe into solar, because right now we have so much renewable energy that will be needed in the mining plant. So Yes, that's very okay. true. As you just mentioned the future, is there something in the nanotechnology world that may be coming? Like, is there a new technology that I'm not looking for any industry secrets, but Over the next 10 or 20 years, is there something that people in your industry are going to be working on that will change what the rest of us are doing out here? And, you know, Jeff, I think we're seeing it already. So we're becoming more independent with our energy needs, for example, Mm -hmm. and we can definitely look at solar for that. So the solar industry is just expanding drastically because we have the sun. It is so it's a little bit silly (laughs) to have such a big, you know powerhouse (laughs) and not be able to obtain all of that energy and use it for our own needs. 
So we will definitely see that in the future. Solar panels in every house, battery systems. So you can use yes. watch your TV at night as well. Yes. So, right. The more that's, independence for sure. That's great to hear. Yeah, we definitely like to hear that that's the direction that the world is going. So we are at the point in our show where we like to ask our guests for a challenge. So what challenge do you have for our listeners, Alexis? Sure. And we're going to go back into mining here. Yes. <laughs> definitely encourage all of our listeners to just get outside, just play outside, you know, go okay. grab one of those big, it could be a rock or yes. it could be just like some dirt. And then just imagine how can this small mineral can create roads, can you yeah. know create glass or even power a rocket. So wow. yes. that would be my challenge. Yeah, I think I that like would that. Be, I like that too. And and you guys can when you grab your materials, if you don't know the answers to that, you can always just go and look things up and, and figure it out. And you'd probably be surprised at what this little rock in your hand could actually do. That's really cool. That was great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Alexis. I've yes, learned so has. much about mining. So thank you so much for being on Solve for Kids. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks you, Jen and Jeff. We really did go deep today, a kilometer <laughs> down with the largest dump trucks on earth. How fascinating. And when Alexis is standing next to one of those tires and she's only a quarter the size of it, you can just imagine how big these machines are and how big an operation mining is to get these materials we need from the earth. Yes, I remember seeing all those Caterpillar trucks <laughs> a long time ago as a kid, and they were mammoth, and I always thought mining was so amazing. And to think about all of the different processes yes. that you have to go through. I like how she kind of gave us the steps so that you could envision what was going on. And speaking of envisioning, I think her challenge is fun. Go out and pick up a rock and then kind of figure out what that could turn into. I think that's really cool. And something that, you know, you don't really think about rocks, but wow, they do a lot of different things, don't they, Jeff? Kids have tons of imagination and hopefully yeah. our adult listeners will go out and do the same thing. One of the things that my brain went to right away was walking right out my front door with my daughter, grabbing some rocks and some dirt in our neighborhood but then also doing the same thing and comparing when we go somewhere else. Maybe I drop yes, her off at a friend's house exactly. or we go to grandma's and see what's different about the rocks and the material in those two different areas. Absolutely. So everybody do that. Go outside, pick up a rock and take a look at it. <laughs> Not necessarily take the rock with you, okay? Because we like to leave them there for the environment. But if you do that and you find some fun facts about your rock, Make sure you tag us on social media. We are at KidSolve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out our website, SolveForKids.com, where we will have a page for this episode, just like all of our episodes. And we will have book recommendations, including, if I may say, my Rocks, Fossils, and Shells book will be on there. So check out all of that information, too. Jennifer, if you didn't say it, I was going to because your Rock, <laughs> Fossils, and Shells book is my daughter's favorite of yours. Aww. And until next time, go outside, check out those rocks, and imagine what those rocks could be used for with the materials from the earth. 
Until next time, you'll hear Jen and Jeff on Solve It for Kids. Thank you.